Turn in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at one verse today. John chapter 1, verse 14. We're going to be finishing up the story of God's Son. So we've looked at creation. We've looked at how it's, um, Jesus Christ not only came into this world, but what that truly means. We're going to be talking a lot about this morning and then again tonight about the Word. Remember, it's the, the name that's given to Christ here is the Word. The Word, the Word. Why is that important? Why is it so important that it's given as the logos is what it's called in the Greek, but we translate it out as the word. So why is that? Because this is God's spoken word that we are reading from, right? So this is the word of God made flesh. So this is what we're going to be talking about and studying about this morning. Then we'll see the effects of that later on tonight in the life that we live and what that means to us. So God's word is really what? What is the Old Testament about? The Old Testament is about the story of Christ, but then it focuses on two things that begin with P. So there are what? Promises of God, and then there are prophecies, right? So the Old Testament is full of promises of God. God makes covenants with all of the Old Testament folks, right? He makes it with Adam. He makes it with David. He makes it with Abraham, all of these covenants. And each time that he makes the covenant... The covenant grows. Have y'all ever noticed that? If you go and read about all the covenants that he gave to Adam, then when he gives it to Abraham, it grows. Then when he gives it to David, it grows. In other words, it gives a little bit more information each time that the covenant expands. But what is a covenant? A covenant is a promise between two people. So we live in a day and an age today where we get married and we call those contracts. God looks at marriage different than our society. He sees it as a covenant. It's a bond between two people. And if you look in the Old Testament, it says the word cleave. A, a man must leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife. That actually means join together. That word cleave in the Old Testament means you become one. And so it's really the picture of being glued together. Have you ever glued two pieces of paper together? What happens if you try to take them apart? It tears, right? There are pieces of one on the other. So once we're put together, we're not made to come apart. So so is the covenant of God. So when God makes an Old Testament covenant with us, a promise to us, it doesn't come apart. Then again, a covenant, covenant is only fully fulfilled when something what? Something has to what? Die. So when God makes a covenant to us and we give our lives to God, we have to what? We have to die. So when God says and makes a covenant with us and tells us eternally that we're going to have life with him, something had to what? Die to cover our sins. Are you getting this? This is all Old Testament bringing this up. So why would he call Jesus the word? Why does John refer to him as the word? Because that lets us see. That lets us see the promise and the prophecies of God's commitment or God's covenant to us to bring us to this place right here. So look what it says. If you put that all in perspective, these words really come to life. And when they come to life to us, it helps us to really see the importance of not only the life that Christ lived, but the importance of our life as well. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the ultimate sign from God. 
Isaiah 14, 7, or 7, 14, excuse me. I don't have it on your outline, but this is what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with a child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. Do you get the whole picture that's right there? So there's the sign that comes from God in the life of Christ. It's born of a virgin. And so we studied in Sunday school this morning, right, about the virgin birth and about what um, uh, Joseph had to go through. Think about that. They were what? Remember, I just told you, two become one. But the Sunday school lesson told you that even though they had not come together and had relations, even though they had not even been married yet, because they were betrothed to each other, they were considered what? Married. They were considered one. So when she is with child and Joseph has to deal with that out in public, everybody's looking and going, how in the world did she become with child if the two of them aren't married yet? In our society today, it wouldn't even be a big deal, would it? It would not at all. But in that day, in that time, it was a big deal. So he's walking around. What do you think all the other Jews are doing while he's walking around town with his wife, who's beginning to show that she's pregnant, and they haven't even gotten married yet? They haven't even gone through the rituals. They were betrothed to each other. That committed themselves to each other. They were in covenant It looks like somebody broke something, didn't it? And what was Joseph considering? Joseph was considering putting her away. That would have been Baptist today, would it not? Do you remember back in the day if somebody in church got pregnant out of wedlock? What did the Baptist do? We sent them away, didn't we? We didn't want to show that. Why? Because we felt like it was wrong. Sin is sin. Is there anyone here that has not? See, this is what God did. By sending his son, he covered every single bit of that. But we still feel all this shame. We still feel all this guilt. The scripture tells us that when Jesus Christ forgave us, he forgave our sins as far as the east is from the west, and he has forgotten them, and he has forgiven them. See, this is the big struggle that we have with forgiveness, accepting Christ, is that we don't forget. So when we're in relationship with each other, when we're in relationship with God, we have to understand that when we sin and we confess our sins to God, that he what? Forgets them. Now look, are there not still consequences of our sin? Yes, every single one of us will live with the consequences of our sin. But don't be like me. As a teenager, if I was going to school and I was driving in the road, you know, and then somebody pulled out in front of me, sometimes a four-letter word would slip out. That was back in the day when I was really young, you know, and I just couldn't control my emotions. I would go through the rest of the day going, God's going to get me for that. I just said a cuss word. A lightning bolt's coming my way. I did something wrong. There's got to be some equal, right? God's already covered all that. If I confess my sins, he is what? He's forgotten and forgiven me of my sins. One day when I get to heaven, I'm going to stand before the Father, and Jesus, I'm going to, Jesus Christ is going to be there. And the whole deal is, is that if they were to show the entirety of my life, it's going to be bad. I'm just going to tell you before you all even get there, okay? It's not going to be good. 
But as they're looking at it, the Lord's going to step in and say, this one is mine. He is forgiven. My blood covers all that. And I'll get to enter into the glory of heaven, not because of my worth, not because of any of that, but because Jesus Christ entered into the flesh. And because he came into the flesh, I can have life, not only life here, but life eternal. All right. So what's on your outline? It says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. So what does this tell us about this? When he entered into the flesh, there were things that he laid down. Now, and what I mean is this. God cannot be contained in this. So when Jesus Christ came into the flesh, there are parts about who God is that we in our flesh cannot, just cannot contain. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent, right? If Jesus is in this body, he can't be everywhere at all times. Y'all try that, right? You try to be everywhere at all things to all people at all times, right? Especially at this time of year when you end up in three or four different places at once, right? You can't do it. You can't do it. So the Lord had to lay some of this aside to come and to live in this body. He emptied himself from all of the fullness of God to come and be God in human form. All right? Okay. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. So not only was Jesus Christ the ultimate sign, the fulfilling of all the Old Testament, he is also the ultimate servant. We saw his glory. Philippians 2, 7 says this, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Oh, excuse me, that's Mark uh, 10, 45. I missed that, sorry. So Jesus' task to come here was to what? To serve. To serve us. When he came here, he didn't come to rule over. What did everybody want to do? They wanted to make him king. They thought that that's what this is all about. Even though he walked with the 12 and they were so close to him, that he told them all the intimate details of what was going on. He told them that he was going to go and he was going to die on the cross. They said what to him? Peter pulled him inside and said what? Hey, there's no way that this is going to happen. And then Jesus said to Peter, get behind me what? Satan. Now, I want you to equate that to us. We want to have salvation, but we want to still be in control of our lives. That breaks the covenant on our end because at that point, we're disobedient. We're not doing what God wants us to do. We're not being who God wants us to be. Because when we say, I want salvation... I want heaven, but I want to be in control. I want to be in charge. It's still my life, and I do with it what I want. Then there's conflict. And when there's conflict in our lives, then we, we, we struggle. We struggle as individuals today, and we struggle as a church body today because we're all in independently doing what we want to do. Our culture is all about individuality. It really is. It's amazing today the power of one person, is it not? 
I mean, you can have 99.9% .9 of all people ready to have a Christmas party and say Merry Christmas at it, but one person does not, and the whole thing gets shut down. Have you, have you noticed that about, about our culture today? There's the power of the individual, but the deal is, is that there's no collective bonding. There's nothing that guides us in the center anymore. We'll talk about this more tonight. But because we don't have a center, a core, think about that. Everybody's just doing independently what they want to do, right? And everybody calls it just. Everybody says it's okay. And it's not. Because there's no central binding faith or morals or values that hold us together. I know this is, I'm not trying to get political here. I'm just using this as a statement. It's really hard to watch TV right now, is it not? We're in an impeachment process of our president, and nobody cares. Because each side, it's a joke. This is a big deal. I mean, we've been around for 225 years. This is, what, the third time that this has ever happened? One guy resigned just by the, the thought of having to, to go through this process. But now this whole deal is like a, a sham, and we don't really care. We're, we're looking at it, and we're going, oh, they're wrong. And the other side's looking and going, oh, they're so wrong. You see, there's no value to it anymore because there's nothing at the core. This is what happens when there's nothing at the core. So when we become in conflict with God, we lose our core. When we lose our core, we lose our value, our center, our morals, our ethics. And when we begin to spin, we don't value anything anymore. Do you know someone who's lost? If you know someone who's lost, you know what I'm talking about. You can watch their life and you go, why is this so spinning out of control like this? Why can't they see why can't they understand? How about this? We spoke with someone this week about someone that was in one of our former churches, and they've wandered. They've wandered away from their faith. And this person was almost in tears because they were saying, like, I don't understand how they got here, and they, they can't realize what they're doing. This is what we do. We distance ourselves from God. And when we distance ourselves from God, we forget about what this is all really about. Some of you are really busy right now. You're planning a lot of things. I don't even know what you're doing after this. You may have tons of folks coming to your house at some point in time today. If not today, tomorrow. If not tomorrow, Tuesday. If not Tuesday, Wednesday, right? Is it getting out of control? Are you spending so much time thinking about what you're going to feed everybody and what everything's going to look like to forget about why you're even getting together? And what these few days are all about? God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we got to behold his glory. John testifies to that in 1 John. In fact, he tells us, it's not on here, I'm going off course now. He said in 1 John, this is why I'm writing to you, is we have seen, 
We have seen and beheld the Lord himself. And we want you to understand what this is. Have you seen him lately? Have you heard from him lately? Have you beheld him? Have you gotten away from all of this and gotten still? Be still and know that I am God. Are you so moving from this to that to this to that that you're just going 90 miles an hour and not seeing anything? I want you to think about this. If you're going 90 miles an hour, you can blow through a stop sign, can't you? Yeah, you can. That's right. If you're going 90 miles an hour, it's hard to see the details of what God's trying to say to you. We need to slow down. We need to take a breath. We need to see the glory of God. Philippians 2.7 says this, Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Jesus Christ came not only as a man, he came as a servant. Not only as a servant, he came as a bondservant. That word in the Greek means doulos, or is doulos. doesn't mean that. But bondservant means a slave that has been set free that chooses to go back and serve the master. So that's you and me. The true definition of what we are as followers of Christ is bondservants. Paul calls himself a bondservant. John calls himself a bondservant. Look at the front of all their letters. It says bondservant. Peter calls himself a bondservant. I mean, think about that. John, Peter, and Paul, that's the majority of all the writers of the New Testament. That's those who walked closely with him or met him on the road to Damascus. Was called up, Paul himself was called up into the third heaven, he said, and seen things that he couldn't even describe or wasn't even allowed to tell us. So this is intimacy with God. This is intimacy with Christ. And they call themselves bondservants, slaves. Are you a slave to God? I would bet that you can insert slave in your life, but then you would use another word, slave to my job, <laughs> slave to my children, save slave to my finances, slave to my debt. Slave to something else. Insert it here. But are we truly a slave to Christ? Now look, this doesn't add up. It doesn't look like it makes, makes any sense. But to truly see the glory of God, you've got to be a slave to him. But if you're a slave to him, he sets you free. And if you're free in Christ, you are free in what? Indeed. If we are free indeed, then we live unencumbered by the sin which so easily entangles us. And if we live unencumbered by the sin and there's freedom in that, oh my gosh. Now I want you to think about this today. Our culture... Our culture is instant. There are corporations paying people 
thousands and thousands of dollars to run around, take pictures of themselves doing certain things, and then post that on the internet so everybody else and all their followers will see what they're doing. I'm waiting for them to do that for me. I haven't heard had anybody that's going to come and take a picture of me preaching and then post that up online and millions of followers. But people do that. They're called social influencers, right? And media influencers. What kind of influencers are we? Jesus says it's done differently. Jesus says it's done face-to-face, person-to-person. We live in a culture today that doesn't even know how to communicate with each other individually. But yet God has called us to have conversations and to testify about our life. You see, when we're servants and when we're slaves and people are watching that, we're free. And when we're free indeed, our life is different than everybody else's. And when they see that and when we speak of that, it makes a difference. Because there's nothing that anybody else can do. All the people that are socially influencing them, a lot of them are being paid. God sets us free. And when we're free in him, we are free indeed. So we saw the glory. And then the last thing says this, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So not only is God sending his son to us, the word, the ultimate sign, and Christ his life, the, uh, the example he says, the ultimate service, servant. The glory of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, is that's the ultimate sacrifice. What comes next? What's next for you? It's the new year, right? You only got a week to figure out what you're doing next year. Have you made any resolutions? Are you ready to go? Do you have a plan? Taylor, you graduate from college. Mallory, you've just graduated from college. What are you going to do? Disneyland. Oh! Who's paying for that? <laughs> Wrong answer. I was hoping for a job, but no. Good grief. Do you see why I am like I am? Have you thought about it? Have you thought? No, you haven't thought about it. What are you doing in 2020? What's our life going to be like? What if God told you? What if you didn't like it? What if he said, this is what's going to happen in 2020? It always, it's, it's not always fun and games. Remember when he came to Elijah? He said, I want you to go to this widow. This widow is going to feed you. And she's going to feed you. And she's going to feed you. Why am I going to this widow? Why is it a big deal that I get fed? Because I'm about to send you on a journey that you will not survive in and of yourself. How many of you would have gone, I'll go somewhere else. 
Old Testament. Jonah tried to do that, did he not? I'll go the other way. Didn't work out, did it? Are you following me here? Do we really want to know what lies ahead? Jesus came and he knew when he entered in to this that he was going to what? Die. He knew it from the start. And you may think, well, Tim, he was just a young whippersnapper. At 12 years of age, he was smarter than everybody else in the temple, right? We saw the example of that in Scripture. He knew it. Now, how about this? At 12 years old, knowing what he's got to do and what he's going to go through. So much so that he has to go up on a mountain and meet with God. Just so God can encourage him. So much so that when he was on right in the garden right before he gets ready to go to the cross, that he's going, if this cup can pass from me, let it be. Why is that stuff important? That stuff's important for us to see that he's just like us in his humanity. But through his deity, he overcame all of our junk. So doubt is a natural process of humanity. Not understanding and not having all the answers is a natural part of humanity. But trusting in God overcomes every bit of that. So I don't know what's going to happen in 20. I don't know what's happening this afternoon. I thought I knew where we were going to lunch, but tomorrow told me something different a few minutes ago, and now I've got to re- rearrange my whole brain and thought process. I just can't comprehend it. A whole day was planned when we left the house, but they go through, get three women in a car driving over here, the whole thing goes to kaboom. That's how in control of my life I am. Does everybody get this? We have no idea. We are truly living moment to moment. Now, this is not very Christian to me, but the people that sing this song do have a Christian background. You ever heard of Lifehouse? That group Lifehouse? Any of y'all? Please shake your head. Y'all, I would not, any of my, you know, people younger than me in here? Well, that's probably. You heard of Lifehouse? You heard of Lifehouse? You not? Well. Told y'all, mine's going crazy today. You're not going to be able to follow me. I can remember walking into a Walmart in Athens, Georgia, hearing that song, Hanging by a Moment, that's sung by Lifehouse. If you've not heard it, go to YouTube, listen to it. The whole song is truly about moment by moment by moment. He's living his life just hanging by the moment. That is so against us. Some of us in our... um, attitudes or even how we're wired how many of you are planners how many of you are those detailed people you can't even get in your car unless the rest of your day's planned right and know exactly you got the y'all y'all probably still have the day timers don't you you still have them where you can look at it on a paper and stuff like that. that's right there you go it's on your phone now so we got it all planned out god does not follow our script 
we follow his. And the sooner we learn that, the better off we're going to be. It's going to give us understanding and comprehension that sometimes God's going to come in and change our day. Scripture says this, the ultimate sacrifice. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient. Obedient to the point of death. That's sacrifice. That's laying down our will, our thoughts, our plans, and living God's will, plans, thoughts for our lives. And bringing this back full circle, Old Testament tells us what? In Isaiah chapter 55, the Lord says to us, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. God's got this. It's based on promise. It's based on prophecy. He fulfilled his end of the covenant. You and I are one with him eternally in life through Christ Jesus. And because of that, because we're in covenant, we are his. We belong to him. Scripture says no one has ever left his hand that was given to him. Christ has got a hold of us. Stop fighting him. Stop trying to be you and let you become him. That's what Paul says. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. God's got it. How do we know it? He told us through his word. We saw it and know it because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the Father, of the one and only, the only begotten Son. And because we've seen that, because we've heard that, because we know that through the power of the Spirit that's in us, there's no way that we can continue to live like we're, we're living. None of us. We're on journey. And it's not game over yet. He has not come back for us, and we are still breathing. We got a job to do. We got to prepare ourselves for it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for who you are and what you mean to each one of us. Father, I thank you for the lives in which we've been given, for the blessings which you bestow upon us. Father, I praise you for the fact of just that you're God. That even though we're sinners and we've broken your covenant so many times in our lives, 
so many times we've gone astray. So many times we have not followed your word. I pray that right now. Then this day. This day will be a day of renewal. And recovenant, recommit ourselves to who you are and what our relationship with you is all about. Forgive us of our failures. These things we pray and ask in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen.